0: Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton.
1: And I'm Greta Thomas. This show is all about sharing inspiration, uplifting stories, and practical career advice from innovative, original thinking, and pioneering women from around the world. You can find us here every second week, or why not sign up at don'tstopusnow.co so you never miss a show. Plus, you'd make our day if you could rate or review us. It really gives us a boost in more ways than one. It sure does.
0: Now it's time for this week's show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We've had a pretty crazy few
1: weeks, haven't we, Gret? Yeah, you can say that again. But it all culminated in being in Bangkok and Singapore in one week last week. And it was pretty full on, but we did get lots done, didn't we? We certainly did. And boy, is it good to be traveling
0: again. (laughs) And we delivered in person the first part of a six-month-long women's leadership program in Bangkok. Yep, And a two-hour flight to Singapore later, had a great conversation with an amazing future guest
1: as well. Yeah, that was terrific and really look forward to hearing her on the show in just a few weeks' time. But speaking of terrific, we also had a terrific time speaking with this week's guest, founder and author, Natalie Yan Shatonsky. Natalie founded her startup called Full-Time Lives some years ago, and she's just launched a book called The Art of Full-Time Living, which, as Nat describes it, is an uplifting guide all about turning the various transitions we have at midlife into a fulfilling and rewarding transformation.
0: Yeah. And that's why we were so keen to get Natalie on the show. She's truly on a pioneering quest to ensure midlife women make the time to think proactively about living fulfilled and connected lives in the decades ahead, whether that's post kids, leaving home or stepping back from a full-time career. It's all about having the best possible second half of your life.
1: Yeah. And we should say here that we know Natalie really well and we've watched her iterate and pivot in her startup to land at the place now where things are really gelling for her, which is so great to see. And she's definitely passionate about raising the profile of women in their second half of life, isn't she? She certainly is. And I'm really glad because it's
0: one that, as she says, is a major societal issue, particularly when you think that older women are the fastest growing homeless demographic.
1: Yeah, that's such a sobering statistic. And you know what Natalie's trying to do is just get women to think ahead and prevent that sort of thing happening. So in this episode, you'll hear how... Natalie has carefully navigated her various career transitions, how she originally started researching big life changes ahead of her father's potential retirement, but it's ended up being her life that's changed the most, why she worked seven days a week for a year in order to complete her book, and the magic ingredient and habit that's made all the difference to her focus and productivity. So, without further
0: ado, enjoy this episode with the disciplined and purposeful Natalie jan
1: shatonsky Natalie jan shatonsky welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me on the show, Claire and Greta.
1: We are excited to have you here. We are great friends. We've known you a long time, and so it's a real thrill to see just what you've accomplished, particularly in the last year, and can't wait to dive into all of that. But before we do... A question we ask all of our guests is, if you met someone for the first time at a dinner party and they asked
2: you, hey, Natalie, what do you do? How would you briefly answer them? I'm a midlife women specialist and I facilitate conversations between groups of women who are going through midlife transitions.
1: Wow. And how do you sort of summarize, you know, what's midlife for you, you know, like, I like to think I'm midlife, but maybe people would say I'm old. No, you're not. No, you're not.
2: Oh, don't say that. And this (laughs) is the point. It's not about chronological age. It's really about a stage in life, and that can happen anywhere from the 40s to 60s, even 70s, when there's a number of major life and potentially professional changes that are occurring in your life. So it may well be that your role in the family has shifted maybe your children have grown up become more independent maybe your parents are more reliant on you as they become more elderly and they need more care and attention and also could be going through menopause relationship changes with our life partners there's a whole bunch of different factors that might be occurring all at the same time. And this is what makes it so challenging, but also interesting and great potential for actually proactively designing what the second half of life looks like for you.
1: Yeah, I can see that there are so many things or changes that can happen in the that sort of fairly broad age bracket. Fascinating. Well, we're going to come back to this soon. But before we do, is there a story to how you came to be so passionate about midlife transitions and changes and particularly women?
2: Yeah, like obviously when I was growing up, I had no idea a job like this existed to be a midlife women specialist. Obviously I made it up, but it very much started a few years ago on a quest to really understand how I could help my parents transition and design their lifestyle beyond their work because work is really important to them as immigrants from Hong Kong, they have a very strong work ethic and I guess the alternative to working full-time seemed very foreign to all of us. And that was a bit of a concern for me because I knew it wasn't necessarily sustainable, but I also knew how important it would be for them to be busy with things that fulfilled them. So I started off by talking to lots of people I looked up to who were leading a fulfilling retirement to understand how did they get there? And then from there, I ended up speaking to hundreds of different people at different life stages And ended up taking myself on study tours around the world, including visits to two of the Blue Zones, Loma Linda in California and Okinawa in Japan, to really see on the ground how healthy aging communities thrive together. So that was really the beginning of me understanding what is the alternative to retirement and then coming up with this concept of full-time living where work can be part of that, but that's just part of the mix. And it just sets us up really well to have a healthy and connected, meaningful life, no matter what stage of life.
0: What changes did your parents put in place as a consequence?
2: Well, interestingly, it was more my own journey because as it turns out, my father never really said that he would retire. I think it was assumed in the family. So the stress that my mom had about oh, what's dad going to do when he retires and what's life going to be like at, at home, having him around every day. It turns out that he never had that intention because he realized the health benefits of continuing the work that he does, which is very community facing and He gets to mentor younger people. He gets to speak at conferences overseas. So he has to constantly keep up with his practice and his learning and sharing that knowledge with others. So his sense of purpose and identity is very much wrapped up in his job and the community he's surrounded by. So I actually have come to terms with, actually, we shouldn't change anything for him because he's still very healthy and his cognitive function is excellent. So I guess I realized we didn't really have to stress about it. It was my, my quest took me on a intellectual quest and inspired my own life changes more than anyone else in the family.
0: Yeah, how incredible. Well, we'll come back to this uh, fascinating topic a bit later, but we'd really like to understand your background a little bit more for our listeners. What did you think you were going to do when you were growing up?
2: As a really small child, I used to love playing with cash registers. <laughs> really? <laughs> My grandparents in Hong Kong would send me all kinds of fabulous toys. Like, like I had a aeroplane where I could be, pretend to be a pilot and I had several cash registers, oddly enough. Uh-huh. And um, I used to love playing shopkeeper as a really small child. But then as I grew up and really thought about what I enjoyed doing at school, I really liked art. I had a fantastic art teacher and I also loved Japanese. I knew that I wanted to do something in architecture, the design field, and I knew that I wanted to somehow be able to spend time in Japan. Wow.
0: And so you did spend time in Japan, I
2: think. Yeah, I ended up going and doing a Rotary Exchange program for a year straight after high school. had an amazing experience there. I had a host family in Nutter and made lots of friends with people around the world who I'm still in touch with. And that gave me the thirst to want to come back to Japan and spend more time there. So I ended up going on a University Exchange program in my third year of university And lived in a shoebox in Tokyo for my final year. So that really was a very different experience from my first year in Japan. But it made me think, gosh, there's a whole global landscape that's yet to be discovered. And it just gave me a lot of ideas in terms of what role I could play, even at a really young age in my career.
1: So that year study, university exchange in Tokyo, were you studying in?
2: in Japanese. Japanese.
1: Whoa, really?
2: Yeah. So there were a handful of exchange students, but most of them were actually from Asia. So there was only me and one other Australian exchange student. So all my classes were conducted in Japanese and I had to write essays in Japanese. And yeah, it was quite a steep learning curve and I loved it. It was like there were hard moments, but that's what I wanted. I wanted to totally immerse myself in the language and the culture and have lots of friends who I've stayed in touch with since then as well. And what
1: was the key sort of focus of your degree? So what were you studying? Because I imagine, you know, just that
2: adds more complexity too. My degree in Sydney was Asian Studies and obviously have conducted in English, but how that translated When I was studying at Hosea University in Japan, the subjects that I was taking were around Japanese literature, but it was taught in Japanese. So that was incredibly difficult. And then I also had some subjects in international studies.
1: Yeah, wow. Because, you know, you could get quite deep and philosophical studying literature and sort of thinking about the uh, meanings and inferences. So, well, yeah, you need to understand, you need to have a really good grip of the language, I would have thought. (laughs)
2: Absolutely. So, I think I became really good at reading body language and facial expressions.
0: Yeah. You know what, Nat, though? It's really funny because when I think about it, that just sounds like the Nat I know and love. You know, the fact that you took yourself off to, Japan and threw yourself into something that was really, you know, learning the language and putting yourself into a really difficult, challenging position. That sounds like what you've done actually in the last, well, five years or so.
2: Definitely. I got to experience those difficult moments that never really last for a very long time, but at the time it feels incredibly challenging But you push through it, you tap into resources inside yourself as well as others around you. And that's been a blessing that I learned early in my life that those challenging periods will never last.
0: Yeah, it's impermanent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great life
1: lesson, isn't it? Yeah. It was fascinating because, you know, I met you sort of like 25 years ago or something like that, and you were working in tech. So how did you get into tech? Because you spent a lot of years in tech companies,
2: haven't you? Yeah. So when I came back from that year of university in Japan, I was determined to find a job that had a a very global focus, which is quite hard to find in a graduate job. But I really wanted to find a job that I could use my Japanese and Cantonese and also be able to travel because that I just have a love of travel. And so that was important. And there's not a lot of companies that will enable their graduates to travel a lot. But I did find a job that the headquarters of IBM Asia Pacific was in Japan and the team that eventually hired me needed a Japanese speaker in the team. So that was amazing. And the other thing that was important to me that I needed to find a company that had a learning environment for graduates. So I guess that I had a high bar and that took me into tech because there weren't a lot of other companies that were open-minded about the possibilities of their graduates. And it was only really the large tech companies at the time that were really investing in their young graduates and giving them those opportunities because they could see the potential. So that took me on a journey to working at places like Yahoo, really early days of the internet. And I honed my craft in product management there, You talked about product design
1: and you went on to be a real expert there, but you've made a few career transitions in your time. And given that's sort of the theme of your work today, in a way, transitions. One big transition I can think of um, since we've known each other was from that world of tech and product management into a whole different, way more creative pursuit. Can you tell us a bit about that transition and what drove that and how you kind of manage the transition?
2: So I guess during my time of working in the internet industry, what I felt was lacking was that tactile sense of being able to touch things and be in a space. And I started to revisit my childhood dream of being an architect. Mm. So I thought, look, I don't necessarily want to be an architect, but I want to still have that sense of design and spatial design in my life. So while I was working full time, I went and did a a postgraduate degree in design. It was multidisciplinary. And I thought, look, this is just a great thing to do after hours to learn about all the different design disciplines. It's really interesting. It's not directly related to my day job in digital, but I look back and I realized, gosh, we learned all kinds of things. And one of the things that became really Pivotal in everything I've done since is that human design approach. And I continued those studies and went on to train as an interior designer and practice in interior design for a number of years. I'm really happy with how far I went at that stage of life. And I realized the reality of being an interior designer didn't quite match my strengths. Because I guess as a junior interior designer, you have to do a lot of administrative work. It's not as big picture, creative, and conceptual as it was when I was studying interior design.
1: Yeah, right. That makes sense. Now, if we come back closer today, and here you are, you're a midlife women specialist and the founder and CEO of Full Time Lives, your business. Talk us through just the the early days of that because that was another example, wasn't it, of it was a bit of a, a side hustle for, for quite some time or juggling a few different balls in the air.
2: Hmm. So I guess this was really early days of my quest of discovery, of learning more about the market opportunity. So given that it had started off with trying to understand for my parents what we should do to support them, the more people I spoke to in my customer interviews, the more encouraging the landscape was in terms of, gosh, no one's really thinking about this as a social or market problem as to how we age well. So I knew instinctively and all the data was in front of me that this was something that we needed to think about. But the question was, how do we solve it? And that's always a big challenge for an entrepreneur that has limited resources. I experimented a lot and, you know, as much as you do lots of customer interviews to understand the customer problem, How you solve that problem for them sometimes takes really deep pockets and resources So that was really hard as a startup founder because having worked in corporate where you've got lots of different functional areas and everyone's an expert in their area and you're all working together and collaborating, that was really difficult in terms of being a startup founder with limited resources. How did you actually
0: sort of find your way through at the end?
2: Oh, I look back to those early days and I think it was being surrounded by really supportive people so friends like you guys who really could see my potential and even though I may not have solved such a big problem like it's such a big market and social problem before you guys never had any doubt that I would eventually get there so having the right friends and family members and then also being able to ask for help Uh, like ask friends if they know anyone who have the professional expertise, who might be able to unlock some knowledge that I didn't have. I think that was something that I really honed, that skill of learning to figure out how I could get that information by talking to people outside of my immediate network.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, it's culminated, not only with a successful business, but also you've just released a book called The Art of Full-Time Living. What drove you to sort of land on writing a book?
2: Oh, I guess one thing I didn't say earlier on is I've always wanted to be an author. Ah, there you go. There's so many professions that you look like and go, oh, that looks really cool. I'd love to do that one day. And I think I was talking to the club manager at my co-working space who's become a friend. And I was saying, oh, look, you know, one day when I've got time and when I've got enough knowledge and I can you know, go to university and study comms and become an author, that's my dream. That's what I eventually want to do. And he said, well, you know, there's a book coach who sits in our co-working space who you see every day. Her job is to actually coach business leaders in how to write a book. So it took me months to gather up the courage to speak to this woman, Jackie Lane. And I guess it was knowing, oh gosh, there's actually professionals who can help me with this process. And the moment we sat down and talked about the concept for the book, she said, Well, I don't know of any book like this that exists today. And I know how to help you produce it. So I think we can do it within a year. Don't let it go on for any longer. Let's commit to doing it within a year. And I thought, really? Oh my God. Well, let's give it a
0: go. Wow. That's such a brilliant story. I would imagine that plucking up the courage to go and see her, it must've been sort of like, oh my God, if I go and see her, then I'm going to commit to writing a book in the back of your mind. Is that how you felt?
2: It ended up just being the starting point was a relaxed glass of wine in our co-working lounge. And then it was a really casual conversation, but there was also synergy between us. So there was, I felt like I could really trust her, that she would guide me through the process. And she seemed to really think that the book would have great potential too as a subject.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, somebody else that really, really believed in you, which is just so important,
2: as you say. And this is a professional who works with a lot of business leaders who've written great books. So I didn't realize a lot of those other leaders had been coached through it, but now it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an
0: amazing achievement. There's so much work and not only just the work, but also the fact that this is part of you, you know, it's it's you putting yourself out there. It's it's such an achievement. What was the hardest thing about writing this book?
2: Funnily enough, writing the book was the easy bit because I love research and I, I love, you know, writing a first scrappy draft of anything. I'm very comfortable with that. So the first third of the project was great. I was in my zone, but the middle bit of having to revise the manuscript again and again, like each time I'd get the manuscript back from the editor, there was a whole sea of red. I had to really get over the fact that it wasn't personal. This is ultimately to make it a better book and to make it easier for people to read. So I found that really challenging and confronting to to see that sea of red and have to just drop my ego just push through every single comment, work on it, whether it was just to change the turn of phrase or go and research something more or put more detail into some of the stories. That was really confronting. I found that really difficult.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine. You must have been sort of at some points thinking that you're just going to give up.
1: Yeah. Well, we are so proud of you to be pushing through. (laughs) And I think, you know, for listeners, if you had to summarize the key messages in
2: the book, the raison d'etre for creating the book, what would that be? I designed it and really wanted people to be inspired by how they could think differently about their future. I acknowledge that there are some challenges at this stage of life, but on the whole, it's really about enabling people to be inspired to think about what is meaningful to them, what matters to them, and who matters to them, whether it's people they currently have in their lives or new connections that they should go out and search for through doing activities. And then thirdly, it's the lifelong learning that underpins that, that helps us keep growing The idea is that I'm not trying to tell people what to do. It's more about readers being inspired and applying some of the learnings that I've taken away from the 20 women I've interviewed and written stories about, because I found that there's so many different ways that we can transition to the next chapter and set ourselves up well for the future. I guess the takeaway is that there is no one way everyone's different. And the older we become, and we have different life experience and perspectives. Then it's really up to us to find that inspiration to design and be intentional about what the next few steps might look for us.
1: And I think in some ways that's the meta takeaway, which is design and be intentional.
2: Yeah. One of the programs I've run is a vision workshop and I use Lego Serious Play as a creativity technique. And partway through that workshop, and I've run this workshop many times now, there's this aha moment of those women that have been playing with Lego, having a laugh, telling, sharing stories. And then that point that you just made, Greta, ah, I've been caring for other people my whole adult life. I haven't really thought about how I'm going to care for myself because what if my kids grow up, move overseas, maybe my partner's not around anymore. Who's going to really ensure that I'm living my best life? That moment is just magical when I see that look on people's faces of I've got to do this for myself in the same way that I've cared for my children and For my parents, I've got to make sure that I do all the right things by me. That is what gives me my sense of purpose when I can bring women to that sense of realisation for themselves.
0: What a privilege and a wonderful thing to be able to do. When you think about the book, And I know you launched it fairly recently and you've had some really great feedback.
1: It's got a great forward too, by the way. Oh yeah, it's got a
0: great (laughs) forward by the one and only Greta Thomas, exactly. What are some of the, a couple of the tools perhaps that you share that people have said, oh wow, that was really compelling?
2: I'm hearing people say that they really like the approach to breaking stuff down and running a small experiment, just taking one step. So it sounds really simple, but I guess because the reader is typically quite overwhelmed and feeling stuck, that nugget of realizing, well, it's not going to be a big deal if you just choose to do one thing that might help you take one step forward or even sideways, but it's not going to be a step backwards because you've learned something new about yourself.
0: That's such a great tip. You've written an incredible book, really, that I think is going to change lives. During that process, you must have had to build into your life some habits that have set you up for success. What would be the one or two habits that you think have been most important to you?
2: The biggest theme from the last 18 months has been consistency of routine. In the past, because I guess as an entrepreneur, every day is different, I gave myself a lot of flexibility around my routine and when I would exercise and eat. But having a deadline with the book made me realize that I really needed to make sure that I consistently showed up on the jujitsu mat every night because that was my way of de stressing. So it meant I had to down tools a certain time in the day to go to jiu-jitsu, which I do with my son. So that's my way of connecting with him, but it's also physical and, and really good for mental health. So that daily habit of then having to set yourself up for the next day, the night before. So therefore I found it easier over the last 18 months to have more or less the same sort of daily routine on a weekday and weekend. Weekends, I would also continue to write on my book, all day wow. even feel like writing that was my trick to just even if I was writing scrappy stuff or doing a bit of research I had to show up at my desk and work on something related to the book
1: yeah right you know and you talked about writing every day how did you stay fresh because we're big advocates of rest and everything
2: mm. as we said sometimes there were days when I felt like I couldn't write anything it might be just editing So it was still looking at my work or it might be refining some research. Sometimes I would sit on a piece, like a a chapter, and just leave it because I felt like I'm not really ready to go and edit that or reread it. But I'll keep writing on something else. What really fueled me was the interviews with the women because I love interviewing people. So that was always what gave me a lot of joy throughout the whole project of being able to interview them or look at the transcripts from my interviews or you know rewatch some of the videos to figure out how I was going to write their story or enhance the story if I'd already written it
1: yeah moving on a bit natalie and sort of thinking bigger picture you know, if you look back across all your different career endeavors and life endeavors, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given that's really stuck with you?
2: Build your networks and have a support crew. And I learned that from you, Greta, the importance of support crews. Huh. I don't know if you still remember, but I remember you did a talk a few years ago and you practiced with me and that has really stuck in me in terms of having at least you know the five people the support crew and then i've since read a lot about the importance of women having those strong bonds there's been some longevity research about the importance of those social connections between women and that impacts the healthy aging outcomes as well so there's a lot of science behind what you said years ago, Greta. Well,
0: well Greta, <laughs> there you go. Is that Was that actually
1: one of the five key things from the podcast? Um, no, no. That goes back to those early workshops I did on the science of confidence. That's right. A- achievement. And I had a pyramid framework and you know one of the key things is you absolutely need I think I typically called it an advisory boards but it's this exactly what how you articulated it Natalie you know support crew is exactly the same thing Um and I may even have used support crew and everything but yeah so it's those early workshops and even going before that although I don't know if I mentioned it in the talk I did for Lean In. Um, and I remember Natalie was in was one of my very, very small number of test audiences to help me iterate that talk before it was recorded for posterity. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear.
0: Well, and actually, Nat, you've taken this kind of strong connections to the next level, haven't you? I was really inspired by your story about you going on these retreats.
2: Oh, yeah, that seems to really resonate with a lot of women who've heard about what my friend Catherine Hunner and I do. So this is a new habit that came about as a result of my book project. So we have started this new habit that we'd never done before till over a year ago of going away for about five days at a time. We'll book a nice place like an Airbnb beach house or the most recent one we stayed in a ski lodge in Threadbow in the snowy mountains in Australia. And we will go away and have some kind of work project to focus on. And we'll eat really healthy food. We'll go on lots of walks and swims. And we also use that as an opportunity to catch up with each other and help each other out on the big picture thinking of those projects we might be working on at the time.
0: That's so cool. I li- I really like that. And obviously you go away just the two of you.
2: Yeah. No family and I don't think there's that many friends I could do the same thing with, but we just I guess our rhythms and giving each other just enough space but then also having time to catch up. It just works really well between us. And you can put it on the business.
1: I mean it's genius. <laughs> exactly.
0: Brilliant. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to take that away. Now we're coming towards the end of our interview and I've got a sort of a big question for you to end on, which is what does success look like for you?
2: Oh gosh, over time as I've grown up, I realise to me success is actually being able to stick to something you feel really strongly about and seeing it right through to the end. So it's being really clear about what you want to do and why and then trying to achieve that. So it's not anyone else's standard but my own in terms of what the outcome might look like. And how I get there, it can change. It doesn't really matter. I've learned to accept that you've got to find lots of different ways to ultimately get there. But, yeah, it's actually seeing it through to the end.
0: Fantastic. Well, it sounds to me like you have been very successful. (laughs) Very successful. You know, we, we just hope that you continue to go from success to success and we know you will. So th- it leaves me to say thank you so much, Nat. It's been such a joy, you know, just sharing your story and sharing your learnings with all of our listeners. If our listeners wanted to know more about you or your book or your work, where would they go?
2: Best places go to my website, which is fulltimelives.com, and they can also connect with me on LinkedIn.
0: Fantastic. And for our international listeners, can they buy the book internationally?
2: Yes. There's a pipeline project, which is to have an audio book ready very soon. Look at you.
1: Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nat. I really love how Natalie has found her purpose,
0: don't you? Yeah, absolutely. After numerous iterations, she's really landed on her and society's sweet spot in the past few years. And I love how she's
1: making a difference to people's lives. Yeah, it's fabulous to see. And more than that, you know, the messages she has about taking time to reflect and not just sort of drift passively from one life stage to the other – you know, whatever life stage you're at, that's so important for all of us, isn't it?
0: Yeah, totally. And I like how her book shares examples of how different women are thinking about their futures. Plus it shares the key building blocks for a meaningful life, including ensuring you retain plenty of social connection, continue to learn new things and have a tribe or community and still feel purposeful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's some great examples in there and really valuable topics to ponder.
0: Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks, where we have another, but very different midlife entrepreneur, who's now running three
1: successful businesses and taught herself about e-commerce only a few years ago. Yeah. Incredibly inspiring story, that one. In the meantime, take care, have fun, and take time to lightly reflect on what your next life or work transition might be. Ciao for now.
2: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.